This month we are talking about heritage. So we're going to be singing through the month hymns that represent different parts of Unitarian Universalist heritage. The first one is number 352 in the gray hymnal, Find a Stillness. And the heritage part of this is that the tune comes from Transylvania, which is a place where Unitarianism was first allowed to establish a foothold back in the 1500s. And that's a wonderful piece of history that I won't go into in detail, but many choirs and other UUs visit Transylvania and see the historical sites where some of, some of the churches and the sites where the Edict of Toleration was read during the Reformation. So please join us in singing number 352, Find a Stillness. Next one, also in the gray hymnal, number 145, as tranquil streams that meet and merge. This song, the words were written in 1933, but it really came to prominence in our denomination in 1961, when it was sung for the services honoring the joining of Unitarianism and Universalism in the United States, as tranquil streams that meet and merge.
Boy, you know you've got a heritage hymn when you look out in the congregation and see someone singing from memory. You know all the words. <laughs> That's wonderful. Our last one, if you turn to the turquoise hymnal, is a newer hymn, but also encompasses our Transylvanian heritage. Give me a number, please. 1043. 1043. Sekej That looks like a very complicated title. It's Hungarian. And the Hungarians, the, or in Romania, Transylvania, is ethnically Hungarian. So most of the Unitarians who live in Romania to this day are ethnically Hungarian and speak Hungarian as well as Romanian. This is a traditional Hungarian Unitarian uh, text and we'll sing the Hungarian first, then we'll sing the English, the translation's right there in the English, and then we'll sing both of them together. So you can choose whichever one you want to sing <laughs> um, together. The, the Hungarian is not quite phonetic to English. Um, Hol hit ot seretet, hol seretet ot beke, hol beke ot aldash. You see how it kind of cycles through. Hol aldash ot ishten, hol ishten ot sükseg. It's like a milkshake, only a sükseg. Sükseg ot sükseg ninshen. And then we'll go to the English, and then we'll sing both parts together. rise in body or spirit for the call to worship.
all you lovers of red and green chili. Fasten all who drink the shade of cottonwoods and warm yourselves in the infinite sun. Balloon watchers, stargazers, desert, desert dwellers, and cherish guests, come into this sacred hour. Let the music move your spirit and kindness heal your soul. Come, let us worship together.
You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I love when you reply. <laughs> Welcome to First Unitarian. I am Anna Watkins, and I am pleased to include you in this service. We are so glad you are here. Whether you're in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall, we're happy to have you with us. We enjoy having children with us and have special spaces for them. An activity table at the back, which I, I think there's some pretty cool stuff back there. Um, some of it, I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, <laughs> the family room across the hall where the service is live streamed, and of course, our famous playground at the front of the sanctuary. And uh, if you're curious about that, you might want to come out after the service and look at it, okay? In the words of one of my favorite UU songs, all of us are loved. Each of us is welcome. No one is a stranger. No one is an outcast. No one is alone. Everything we do when our hearts are grateful and our lives are faithful makes a better world, one that we can call everybody's home. Welcome home. It's October, balloon fiesta month. Bob is coming back from sabbatical. <laughs> Just two more preaches until he gets here. <laughs> and there are more and more hot air balloons in the sky these last several days. So I've got a hot air balloon meditation for you this morning. And I invite you to start by just taking a breath. Stretch a little bit if you need to. Feel free to move your neck. We won't think it's weird. Settle into that body. Maybe there's a place where you could loosen a little tension. Make a little more space in here for your breathing. And if you like, you can close your eyes. as you continue to let your breath rise and fall naturally, I invite you to visualize a hot air balloon in front of you. And it could be anywhere you like in this meditation, Balloon Fiesta Park, or maybe somewhere else in town where you see them taking off. Maybe somewhere that exists just in your imagination. Picture the balloon in front of you with its basket woven and its ropes or cords and the balloon itself. What color? What shape? And what sounds does it make as it sits there? Now, 
as you continue to hold that image in your mind's eye, search yourself within for something you need to let go of. What do you need to let go of this morning? Maybe something that's weighing you down or keeping you up. One of those things we can't change or control, but it stresses us out. Maybe it's some bitterness you're holding on to towards someone or even towards yourself. Whatever it is, imagine that you can somehow take it from within yourself in your hands. You're holding it in front of you. And now you place it in that balloon basket. Gently or with a thunk. You've let it go. Now you're a little lighter, a little more balloon-like yourself. And you hear the sound of the balloon beginning to lift. And you see it leave the ground, floating up above your head, taller than the trees now, carrying away that thing you put in it, taller than the buildings drifting along with the air currents and floating away. Gone. Leaving you freer and lighter. We continue in silence.
Let's lift up some names in our community. From my pastoral list, I lift up Gail Simpson, who is scheduled for surgery this week. May it go well with her. We wish her speedy healing and good care. I lift up Jenny John's little niece, four-month-old babe, who suffered a fall this week and an injury. And we pray for her good care and healing as well and for all who are caring for her. And I lift up the name of Jeanette Held, who died last week at over 100 years of age. Beloved member, we lift up her son Rick and his wife Sandy and all of their family as they mark the loss of this beloved elder. What names are in your hearts this morning? Who could use a little prayer? I invite you to call them to mind and speak them aloud as the chime rings, if you wish, so that we can hold them with you. All of these and all of the unspoken prayers we lift up to the great powers of healing and celebration and renewal known by many names. And I offer you this prayer by Jess Reynolds. They call it Autumn Prayer. Spirit of life, be with us this autumn. Just as the trees and nights are changing, so too are our lives shifting. Some among us are grieving. We grieve for loved ones and for parts of our own hearts that do not fit us any longer. We mourn the green leaves and the summer birds, and we mourn the dreams we had that are dying. Spirit of life, do not let us be empty this autumn. Remind us of the life that will flourish come spring, and help us to hold space for the loss that comes first. We cannot resurrect ourselves without letting something in ourselves die. May we gently guard those tender, empty places and may all the great love of the universe press against our raw edges and our sorrow. Spirit of life, hold us in this season. Hold us in the chill October wind and among the branches scraped clean and in the swirling center of migration. May we close our shutters, not our hearts. And may we gather by the hearth in communion that we might manage to fill one another with the warmth to make it through the winter. Blessed be. And peace be with you. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each
Our reading this morning is A House Called Tomorrow by Alberto Rios. You are not 15 or 12 or 17. You are a hundred wild centuries and 15, bringing with you in every breath and in every step everyone who has come before you all the yous that you have been. The mothers of your mother, the fathers of your father. If someone in your family, in, if someone in your family tree was trouble, a hundred were not. The bad do not win, not finally no matter how loud they are. We simply would not be here if that were so. You are made fundamentally from the good. With this knowledge, you never march alone. You are the breaking news of the century. You are the good who has come forward through it all even if so many days feel otherwise. But think, when you as a child learn to speak, it's not that you didn't know words, it's that from the centuries you knew so many. And it's hard to choose the words that will be your own. From those centuries, we human beings bring with us the simple solutions and songs. 
the river bridges and star charts and song harmonies, all in service to a simple idea that we can make a house called tomorrow. What we bring finally into the new day, every day, is ourselves. And that's all we need to start. That's everything we require to keep going. Look back only for as long as you must. Then go forward into the history you will make. Be good, then better. Write books, cure disease, make us proud. Make yourself proud. And those who came before you, when you hear thunder, hear it as their applause. Today is World Vegetarian Day, when dads everywhere joke that you are supposed to celebrate by eating a vegetarian. <laughs> Dad jokes. <laughs> October's theological theme of heritage has me thinking a lot about families. Heritage is a big concept. It has to do with what we receive from those who came before us. It's related to objects like inheritances and also to culture. Heritage includes our stories of who we are as members of a bloodline, a clan, a racial group, an ethnic group, or a country. We receive a heritage and working with what we've got, we co-create heritages for the people who will come after us. We're part of these people systems that extend all around us in the present and also way behind us and way ahead of us in time. In families, heritage is intimately transmitted. Our family, or families, are the water that we swim in, for better or for worse, or for better and for worse, when we are growing up. There's a whole field called family systems theory about the way families function to maintain their cultures and dynamics and pass them along. One thing that family systems theorists have noticed, and some of you have probably noticed this too, is that families will try to keep a certain equilibrium or homeostasis, a way that things are balanced. If something threatens that balance, there's usually gonna be some kind of an attempt, either conscious or unconscious, to restore it, change things back. For example, say two single parents get married to each other. Two parents, any gender, and each one has a teenage child. After they move in together, one of the teens starts getting in a lot of trouble at school, something that wasn't really an issue before. The step-parent, worried about the stress and the influence on their own child, wants to crack down on this behavior, which causes the birth parent to come to their child's defense. And conflict ensues between the newly married partners. The impact of this is that each parent remains perfectly aligned with their own child, as though they had not combined families at all. Even though they moved in together, they are still two separate entities, homeostasis. That's why when a problem arises in a family, asking why now and what has gone out of balance 
can sometimes be more helpful than focusing on the specifics, right? Why is the family member in this example getting in trouble now? Maybe it's because their parents' energy, which used to be available just to them at home, is now spread around to others or threatens to be. It doesn't feel good. It disrupted the balance. So having the conversation about that change and letting everybody express their feelings and needs and setting aside special time for each parent to tend their parent-child bond might be way more productive than trying to stamp out or ignore problematic behavior. Some families are better at navigating conflict than others, of course. A family with a history of cutoffs where people stop talking to each other for long periods, or a family with a history of abuse where one person's anger gets out of control and people get hurt, might develop a pattern of conflict avoidance. They might go to great lengths to avoid conflict, with individuals ignoring their own needs and their discomfort for long periods of time, which of course can eventually lead to a big blow-up. I'll bet many of us are acquainted with that pattern. We hand family patterns down from one generation to the next. We may inherit them without realizing why we are the way that we are, or even noticing that a pattern is taking place. We may not think to like get on the balcony and sort of look down at everything. We get so caught up in the details, down in the weeds. Patterns and strategies of homeostasis that maintain them become a part of our heritage. By the way, family systems theory applies to congregations too. When there's a tension or a conflict in a congregation, in addition to listening to one another, it's often wise to consider, why now? The system might be reacting to some disrupted homeostasis, like a change in demographics, or a change in the emphasis of the congregation's mission, or a change in leadership, for example. And all congregations and all families had their homeostasis disrupted by COVID. Another thing that can get passed down in families is trauma. Trauma is the negative emotional, mental, and physical response to a powerfully negative event. So the negative physical, emotional, and mental response to a powerfully negative event. All families experience some traumas. Trauma can result from misfortune, like the accidental death of a loved one or the experience of interpersonal violence or from external events such as oppression or natural or man-made, human-made disasters. Not all traumas are big, but some are. And if things go well afterward, we humans are able to process our traumatic feelings with caring people and we have a chance to move our bodies to process the physiological stress response out. If we're able to do all of that, we'll probably restore our internal sense of safety and peace. But if we're not able to successfully process it, trauma can go on to negatively impact the way we see life and the way we relate to others. It can cause us to live as though the trauma were still unfolding or as though we are never safe. In the book, My Grandmother's Hands, the somatic therapist Resma Menikam describes how unhealed trauma moves from one individual or from one group to others. He says, Unhealed trauma acts like a rock thrown into a pond. It causes ripples. After months or years, unhealed trauma can appear to become part of someone's personality. Over even longer periods of time, 
as it's passed along and it gets compounded through other bodies in a household, it can become a family norm. And if it gets transmitted and compounded through multiple families and generation, unhealed trauma can start to look like culture. Menachem's book is about the relationship between unhealed, inherited trauma and the persistent problem of racism in America. Back in 2019, I got to attend a workshop led by Resma Menachem with about two dozen other UU ministers. So after talking about intergenerational trauma to our group, he had us break into smaller groups of four or five people. And then within each group, the participants lined up one in front of the other, like single file type. And I was in the front of my group, and everybody behind me faced backward while I faced forward. And that's how each group was arranged. Resume Menachem handed me and each of the other people in the fronts of their lines a postcard. And he told us to look at it without saying any words. So I turned the card over in my hand. The postcard was a photo of a lynching from the early 1900s. It was really horrifying. I was horrified by the group of people in the picture, some of whom were smiling and posing. I was horrified by the image of the person they had targeted and the fact that those scenes were even turned into postcards back then and mailed around, like their banality and their commonness itself a kind of terrorism. I could feel my emotional reaction to this in my brain and in my face and in my chest and in my stomach. Then we were instructed to hide the card or like turn it over and then turn around and make eye contact with the person directly behind us. We weren't to show them the image or say anything. We were just to turn around and make eye contact with them. As I looked into the eyes of the person who was standing behind me, I was still processing what I had just seen. We held each other's gaze for about a minute, and then she was instructed to turn and make eye contact silently with the person behind her, hold it for a minute, and then that person would turn around and do the same onto the back of the line. The person who was behind me, as it turns out, was Susan Frederick Gray, who at the time was the president of our denomination. I don't think she would mind me telling you that. I think it's actually really good for you to know that the leaders of this denomination and its congregations engage this kind of work on a deeply personal level as well as institutionally. The work of addressing collective trauma, including race-based trauma, is really shaping the culture and the direction of this faith. When we debriefed afterwards, Susan said that when we made eye contact, she could tell that I had just experienced something distressing. She could see it in my face. And it made her feel concerned, which she also noticed as a feeling in her body, too. When she turned around, the person behind her saw the concern on her face and also responded to it physically and emotionally and so on. So that even the last person in the line could tell that whatever had started us out it wasn't good. Imagine now the lived trauma associated with that scene when it originally took place, that scene in that postcard. Imagine being the child or the partner of someone who would smile and pose at such a thing, or the family member of a victim. 
Imagine what everybody associated with it experienced and what was passed on with or without words, with bodies, eyes, reactions, fears, shame, horror. Like many Americans, like many of you, I have ancestors who lived in times of unspeakable violence. Some of them no doubt perpetrated it. Some of them were victims of it. That too is part of our heritage. The neuroscientist and psychiatrist Rachel Yehuda points out that there is a wisdom though there's a wisdom to the ways that trauma is passed down. She specializes in epigenetics. Epigenetics is the way our environment and our behaviors change how our genes work. Trauma changes the way our genes work. It turns some things on and some things off, right, in our genes. And those changes are genetically transmitted from one generation to the next. So that heritage isn't just emotional, but it's physical too. But Rachel Yehuda says that those changes aren't really about damaging or not damaging us. What's happening, she says, it is, it is increasing the repertoire of our possible biological responses to things. When we metabolize and heal trauma, we become more resilient and we pass that down to those who come after us, along with emotional health and if we go on to have biological children, healthy genes as well. So we don't just pass trauma down, we also pass down healing and resilience. Resilience can be individual and it can be collective. Individually, we may inherit some qualities that are wired in that support us in being resilient. And there are also things that we can do, learned things in our lives that build our capacity for resilience. And then there's also the value of positive relationships around us, that collective. Menachem compares it to running a race. If you fall and scrape up your hands and knees late in a race and you're tired, you might feel like it's time to just give up, just call it and walk off. But if a group of people nearby is cheering and encouraging you, you might get back on your feet and finish that thing after all. The cheering people don't finish the race for you, so the resilience came from within you, but it didn't only come from within you. Just as our resilience can be strengthened in relationships, trauma is also healed through caring relationships. And it's healed by noticing it in our bodies and minds and processing it so that we don't accidentally keep passing it along and along. Do you remember when Randy Granger preached here in August? He's a Native American minister and he began his sermon by inviting the best of his ancestors to greet the best of our ancestors. I loved that because ancestry is complicated. And in fact, every ancestor has both their best and worst parts, just like us. In an essay she published last October in Yes Magazine, Adrienne Marie Brown wrote a, re a reflection about ancestors and about relating to them and that complexity and healing. She says, quote, there's a saying that's been popular in the last few years. I am my ancestor's wildest dream. I love this idea, and I have put seeds in that soil, she says. But there are also, in my lineage, ancestors for whom I am likely their worst nightmare. <laughs> A black, queer, pansexual, polycurious, 
curious, unmarried, childless, defiant, feminist, post-capitalist, earth lover, constantly thinking about what might be the most revolutionary next step I could take. <laughs> yes, she says, I know there are ancestors who would feel they had failed in their work because I exist. She continues, but what I know, which maybe these ancestors have some sense of now, is that the impulse to dominate and control and harm and deny the truth of divergent human experiences is rooted in self-loathing. I have to honor that those ancestors lived in a time of less knowing, less connectedness, and less possibility. I have to honor that their lives are crucial to my callings. She says she passes her current experiences of freedom and delight back to the ancestors who did not have access to rest or agency over their time. She passes her current experiences of self-love and radical self-acceptance back to her ancestors who thought that they could only belong through some version of destruction of themselves or others. I love that. She doesn't just receive from her ancestors, but she passes something back. And I think this actually makes a lot of sense. When I began the sermon, I said, heritage includes our stories of who we are as members of a bloodline, a clan, a racial or ethnic group, or a country. I said we receive a heritage, and working with what we've got, we co-create heritages for the people who will come after us. But what's also true is that heritage doesn't just run in one direction. In the way that we wear the stories we receive, the way we live them out and co-create them, we change the stories themselves, and we therefore impact everybody in them. Because when you change the end of a story, you change the meaning of the whole thing, right? And then that turns out to not really be the end. So it goes, and so it will go with those who come after us. Happy World Vegetarian Day. <laughs> The offering ritual gives us a time and place to show gratitude for our church, its inspiration and service to us as individuals, and for nurturing a beloved community. Your time, talent, and financial gifts are all appreciated. To carry out our work, we also engage with organizations whose mission resonates with our own. Our Change for the Future partner this quarter is the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Their mission is to stop violence against Native women and children by advocating for social change and providing support for other Native advocates working in New Mexico's tribal communities. You may mark a pew envelope, CFF, or place your loose change in the basket to support their work. Let us now give freely and generously an offering to sustain and strengthen our shared religious community.
Thank you so much. On behalf of the congregation and on behalf of our Change for the Future partner, may these generous gifts be for blessing in the world and in our congregation and all the places in between. <laughs> Thank you, ushers. Anna, you've got an invitation to share. I do indeed. It's October. Who's thinking about Halloween? Oh, some of you. Kids mostly, right? Or kids at heart. Okay, who's thinking about tacos? <laughs> oh, I think we got more on that, more hits. <laughs> so uh, why not both? We are hosting a multi-generational celebration for our neighbors and ourselves on Halloween, which is on, you guessed it, a Taco Tuesday this year. Perfect. Visit the table on the social hall to sign up to bring fixings for tacos or to hand out candy for trick-or-treaters. This will be a great opportunity to open our campus to our community and all cash donations will go to the Adult Citizenship Test Fund. Hmm. Good cause. And speaking of a su financial support and donations, uh, on this week's episode of UU Family Drama, the UU family takes a road trip. Hey, family. Have you noticed that the weather's turning cool and beautiful? It's that fabulous time of year again. Balloon fiesta? The equinox. No, no, no. It's pledge drive time with the emphasis on drive. This year's theme is UU Family Road Trip, so let's rev up the sensible hybrid engine and get rolling. Do we have to? I need to stop for the bathroom. How far is it? When will we get there? Those are actually really good questions. Have you even picked a spot we're headed to? Well, I didn't want to rile up the kids, but no, not exactly. <laughs> The world around us is pretty uncertain right now. Maybe our exact destination isn't as important as how we make the journey together, like responding to those in need when we meet them on the way, or supporting one another when something as simple as access to bathrooms is uncertain for many of our members. Speaking of which, are we there yet? Jan's poking me. <laughs> You're making me think of all of the things we do together now like covenant groups and religious education and after-school tutoring. There are so many things I'm grateful for in this UU family. It makes me want to dream big about the places we can go and the things we can accomplish. You know, it's almost like I can see the beautiful community our eight principles point towards, but there's a space coming up and I can't figure out how to cross that space. Hands on the wheel, Dad! <laughs> Maybe we should forget about the Rotra metaphor and try a new slogan. How about gratitude in action, building a bridge to the future? I like it. But how long is it going to take? <laughs> well, that's a question I can answer. We're launching our campaign today, and you'll be hearing a lot about it for the next month. If you want more information, there's a table outside the sanctuary where members of the Radical Generosity team will be glad to help. You also can pledge by mail, by phone, on the web, or in person. Every contribution is important. 
please join with us to build a bridge to the future for our children, our community, and the world. The end. <laughs> Thank you, Bill, Christina, Thorfinn, and Jan. <laughs> Thank you, Radical Generosity Committee. All right, so you heard that. We're, we're kicking off our fall pledge campaign today. And just a reminder, a pledge doesn't mean giving money right now. It just means telling us what you think we might be able to give next year in 2024. That's how we make plans and budgets. And it's really, really important. And every one of those counts. Uh, so you can find out about it in all the ways Bill mentioned. Um, also by logging into Realm, you can make a pledge there. And there's a wonderful bulletin board display in the social hall today um, made by our own Jerry Noble. Thank you, Jerry. Um, with more like pictures and information, it's lovely. All right, I understand among the exciting things happening at First U are some new members this morning. Yes, new members, if you feel comfortable. Would you stand or raise your hand when I say your name? Kathy Sudan. Hi. <laughs> Anne Lon. Where's Anne? There you are. Hi. Ariel Phelps. Ariel, are you in here? She was at the 9 a.m. service. Lisa Seaboy. Hi, Lisa. How about Jane Williams? Hi, right there. <laughs> and Mariana Hawson. Is it hi? <laughs> Welcome all. We're so glad that you've joined the congregation. And I hope that everybody will make an effort to greet these newcomers, new members, not newcomers, new members uh, during coffee hour. We hope you'll stay for coffee hour. Today's coffee hour also includes a chance to talk with a board member. Um, the coffee with the board is happening in the social hall. They're usually hanging out in the vicinity of the church library. Um, and they're there for any questions or thoughts you want to share or just to chit-chat. They'd love to meet you. And whether you are doing that or hanging out at a chat table, which we also have in the social hall, or chatting somewhere else, you might like a discussion prompt. So when you think of your heritage, what do you think of? Maybe you have multiple heritages you identify with. What are the things you think of with your own heritage? I invite everyone to rise and body your spirit. Let's greet each other with a gesture of peace. Peace, everyone. Peace. It's good to be together. And while you're up, I invite you to reach down and grab that turquoise hymnal again and look at number 1058. Is that the right number? 1058. This is another heritage hymn. The words are by the Reverend Theodore Parker, the music by Tom Benjamin, who was a longtime UU music director in Maryland. And please join us in singing Be Hours of Religion. Nisha will play it through once and we'll sing it twice through because it's short.
Go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be. Thank you.